0: Father, we come before you this morning to praise you for being the God who is worthy of all praise. You're the God who sees us, you're the God who knows us, you're the God who makes us and sustains us, and you do it perfectly in power and love, you are worthy of praise. And God, we confess this morning that we are broken people, people with hearts that need you desperately, and we confess that we go about our day often just muscling through and confess that we often live our lives without respect to you. We ask that you would forgive us for that. We thank you for the fact of Jesus' death and burial and resurrection for us that covers all of our living life apart from you. And Father, we ask for your help this morning. We ask that you would uh, help us in the Sunday school time to grow deeper in our understanding of prayer, that you would help us in the service, that the singing and the giving and the preaching and the fellowship would all be for you, and through you, and for your glory. We ask for your help, and God, we give you the thanks for the fact that you will do this. When we ask for that kind of thing, that is exactly the kind of prayer you love to answer. So we thank you for that. We thank you for every good gift you give to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I don't have an overhead, so you're going to have to, like, you're gonna to have to use your Bible today, like or maybe a phone, or and you're gonna to have to look at the paper to follow me if you can. <laughs> Just crazy busy, and I like you know what? We don't need the PowerPoint for this lesson, so we will be good. So the last three or four weeks we've been talking about someone. Who have we been talking about for the last three or four weeks? The Holy Spirit. I'll give that to Mark. The Holy Spirit, and we talked about who he is in question 36. He's the third person of the Trinity, fully God. He is co-equal in power and substance with the Father and the Son. And then we had question 37 that we spent a whole lot of time going through passages just seeing what the Spirit did. Right there at the top of your handout there is last week's question that we've been working through. How does the Holy Spirit help us? And we see that this answer is right, but there's so much more that he does, right? The Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin, comforts us, guides us, gives us spiritual gifts and the desire to obey God, and he enables us to pray and to understand God's word. And that question leads right into this week's question, question 38, what is prayer? And the answer from the catechism is prayer is pouring out our hearts to God in praise, petition, confession of sin, and thanksgiving. Prayer is pouring out our hearts to God in praise, petition, confession of sin, and thanksgiving. So what does that mean? This one's really not one of those hard questions to understand, is it? Um, But here's, here's what I would say, that prayer is how we depend on God. Prayer is how we depend on God. In the last week, you know, several weeks, we've been talking about how the Holy Spirit helps us. And I would say that prayer is the key way, one of the key ways that the Holy Spirit helps us in being dependent on God. You see that quote there from a guy named Paul Totius from his book Pray About Everything. He says, one of the pleasures of God is to take ordinary common sinners redeem them, and then empower them with the Spirit to walk in God-dependency. And the clearest mark of their humble, God-dependent Spirit is their dedication to prayer. So we need the Spirit, actually, to help us pray, to help us remember our need for Him and here's how I learned that I'm not God-dependent. Here's how I learned that I'm not God-dependent. Um, by examining how much I don't pray. That's how I've learned where I see what areas of my life that I'm not God-dependent. That's the areas that I don't find myself praying about. And, and a guy named Paul Miller helped me see this in his book called A Praying Life that I, I would commend to you um, He says there in that quote, if you are not praying, then you are quietly confident that time, money, and talent are all you need in life. Think about that. If you're not praying, then whatever it is that you're not praying about, you're quietly confident that time, money, or talent are all you need in life. It kind of hits hard a little bit, doesn't it? I've had some people disagree with me on that, but I, I would say that to the extent that I'm doing whatever I'm doing without taking time to say, God, I need your help in this, I'm not depending on him then to help me with it. I'm thinking, God, you get, I'm not thinking this, but subconsciously I just am acting on my own in my own strength. Like I can do my job, I do my job. But if I don't take time to recognize that I couldn't do my job if my heart wasn't beating, my brain wasn't working, and the talents that I have and skills that I've been given weren't there and continued to be kept there by God, I wouldn't be able to do a job, right? He goes on to quote, I don't know if I put that whole quote in your handout. He says, you'll always be a little too tired, a little too busy, but... If like Jesus, you realize you can't do your life on your own. Now, isn't that interesting, the way he said that? Did I put that whole quote in there? Okay, so, so, so he says, If like Jesus, you realize you can't do, your, do life on your own. Last week, I talked about how Jesus did what he did. He did it by the power of the Spirit. He did not depend upon his deity, which was fully there, but he did not depend upon it. He depended on the Spirit to obey God fully as a a man in our place and to do everything that he did. And Jesus learned that as a young man growing up, he realized everything he had to do was in prayer. So the author there says, if like Jesus, you realize you can't do life on your own, then no matter how busy, no matter how tired you are, you will find time to pray if you realize what this truth is, is that we can't do life without God. But my question then for us is like, well, what does this mean then? What, is it, what does it mean to pray? Um, our catechism tells us that first phrase says it's pouring out our hearts to God. Right? That's all about just communicating to God with our inner person. And the catechism categorizes then three different aspects, four different aspects of how we talk to God. Prayer is pouring out our hearts to God, and it says four different ways. It says praise, petition, confession of sin, and thanksgiving. So what is praise? Let me ask you guys. So the answer says praise, petition, confession of sin. What would you say praise is? How would you define that? Yeah, acknowledging his position. I agree. What else? When you praise someone, what do we do? Like your students, Matt. Well, you don't praise your students. But if you would praise your... No, just kidding. You know me so well.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I was going to say, C.S. Lewis, when he talks about praise, Mm -hmm. he talks about it, how it's the outward completion of what's going on here. So if you see a mountain, a beautiful scene, it doesn't feel complete until you... Turned around to the guy next to you and said, Look at that mountain. You know, Mm. that mountain is there. It's it's, it's, you. Like those outward expressions um, Mm. is part of that. So, like, it's this inner admiration
0: that's pouring out of you. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Andrew. I think I would echo that. It's kind of worded differently. I'd say it's like a public reflection of his impact on your situation. Okay. Okay. Good. Anybody else, how would you describe praise? What does it mean to praise God? Josh, I wasn't looking at you to give me an answer, but (laughs) I like that too. So to celebrate who he is. I I like that, that focus that that Josh and Jeff, both of you guys put on, on God's character. Not that Matt and Andrew are wrong, but it praises just drawing attention to who he is and saying you're great. Like, if, the, if I was to summarize what is praise, I'd say it's telling God how great he is. You're awesome. <laughs> That's praise. And then it could be saying either praising him for what he's done, like what Andrew said, celebrating, how did you put that? Celebrating the, what he's... Right, and so we can praise what we see him doing in our life or others' lives, It's just telling, though, how great he is. Okay, so the second part of the thing, or second phrase, second um, aspect of what prayer is, is petition. What does it mean to petition in prayer? To ask. It's really not hard. (laughs) It it simply means to ask. Um, To ask God for something. I would say, if you're filling in that blank, petition is asking God for something. The New Testament, though, uses like four different Greek words for prayer. And sometimes in a a verse, you will actually see prayer and supplication, like in Philippians 4, 6, and everything in prayer and supplication. Now, that should make you scratch your head a little bit because I thought supplication, whatever that word means, is part of prayer. But Paul says, in everything, in prayer and supplication. So the four words are prayer, um, petition, supplication, and intercession. Those are the English words we've given to it. But underneath those are four different words, all talking about prayer as asking. And they just keep ratcheting up. So depending on the context in the New Testament where you see this word about prayer, If it says like prayer and supplication, Paul is saying asking and really asking. Like there's an urgency. So if you go prayer and uh, petition and supplication, those are different levels of asking and urgency in your asking. It's it's like a a kid who's dying. Dad, 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 dad. I need this. That's probably not just a simple word prayer. That's like insistency so that fourth word the english word is intercession and that's not like a different category or intensity level that's actually asking on someone else's behalf so anytime you're interceding like if you say if jeff you say to me my overtime's not letting up will you pray for me to have strength and all these things i need for my family and i say i will pray for you What I'm saying is, I will intercede for you. I will go to God and ask for you on your behalf for those things. That's what intercession is. And when we read, and my friend preached on Romans 8.26, that the Spirit intercedes for us, what does that mean then? What is the Spirit doing for us? He's asking for us. He's praying for you what? My head just still gets, every time I think about that, it kind of like, wait, the Spirit, God is praying to God for me? (laughs) Because the Spirit is fully God. And he's asking, he's praying on, on your behalf, for you. So those are the, that's the four different ways. When it says petition in our catechism, it means all of those words, all of the asking. So praying is praising, telling God how great he is. Praying is petitioning, asking God with different levels of asking of intensity and urgency. Um, I put a link in there uh, that I found. I read a helpful article last night that kind of walks through those different words. So if you're like, I'm not still sure what that means, read that article. It's very helpful. And then the last two words is confession and thanksgiving. And confession of sin is just that. It's telling God what you have done wrong or how you need to be fixed. Confession is telling God what you've done wrong and or how you need to be fixed, which is kind of goes hand in hand, hand in hand. It's saying that you need him because of your inability to fix yourself. So can you see so far how these three words are all about dependency? I'm praising God for who he is. In light of what I'm not. Like his power, I need him for that. Asking is all about dependency. It's recognizing, God, I need you. Will you do this and this? Because I can't do this on my own. And confession of sin is acknowledging where I'm broken, where I've sinned, where I don't measure up, and I need you to fix me, to forgive me, and to restore in me what you want me to be. And then Thanksgiving. We, we know what Thanksgiving is, right? Thanksgiving is telling God what you're thankful for, realizing that everything's a gift from him, right? So all of those words, praise, petition, confession, and thanksgiving, all encompass this attitude of dependency on God. So our next question, where do we get this from? I always like, okay, where does this answer in the catechism come from in the Bible? How do we get this? And just about like everything else in the Bible, you can't go and find a verse that says prayer is this, 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 and this. Because the, prayer, the Bible is not a textbook. <laughs> the Bible isn't a dictionary. It, it's, it's 66 books, right? 66 pieces of literature put together that are, all have a single supernatural author who used 39 authors. no didn't get that number right, a lot of authors to write those, and they have this running thread through them because it's God, right? So if we're asking like, well, what is prayer? How do we go to the Bible and find out? How would you think, how would you go to the Bible to find out what prayer is? That's a question for you. Like some of these catechism questions, we can look at specific verses, and it almost feels definitional, but where, how would you like define what prayer is by using the Bible? The Lord's Prayer. Good. And I'm actually not going to go there today because two weeks from now, the cate- there are two catechism questions that I'm going to tackle in one week. One is like something about the Lord's Prayer, and then the next one's the Lord's Prayer. So we're actually going to pass over that one as the model of prayer. That's about the closest I would come for a definition because Jesus tells us how we can pray, right? Where else would you go, Matt? What would you do? I mean, I would have started
1: by just going on one of those search engines of the Bible and just every time the word is mentioned. Yeah. And just what does it say every time it talks
0: about it? I love it because that's actually what you can do to find out what does the Bible teach about X. Go online to BibleGateway.com and type that word in, and it's going to show you in book order from Genesis through Revelation that word where it's found. Now, don't get hung up on a certain word. Think about synonyms. So what would be some synonyms if you're going to look up things about prayer? Petition, supplication, request, right? Intercede, praise. You would use those words, and that's what we have done that's how this catechism question has been answered is that people theologians for 2,000 years have recognized these four aspects of what prayer is it's praise petition it's confession of sin it's thanksgiving because if you look at any prayer in the bible which is what we're going to do here we will see those aspects weaved in in those prayers so um Those four aspects are there. You'll also see in the Bible, when you're looking at examples of prayer, different participants in prayer. So there's obviously just normal Joe, individual, right? But sometimes you see prayers by rulers or kings. Sometimes you see prayers of priests. And those, or sometimes you see the whole congregation praying as a whole. Those all have different aspects. But what I want us to do all together, is to take some time and look at some specific prayers, and what I want you to do is you show me where you see any of those four aspects of prayer, and if you're like, ah, how does this fit in to prayer, then let's see that together. So let's start with uh, King Hezekiah's prayer. So turn to 2 Kings 18. We're gonna look at the context real quick before we jump into it so that we can see what Prompted his prayer. So 2 Kings chapter 18. And I'm gonna read verses 28 through 35 to help you see the context. His prayer is in the next chapter, but this is kind of what set him up. Um, and just a just a brief context before this, like this is King Hezekiah, King of Judah, and Israel has been sinning in idolatry for hundreds of years and the prophets have come and said you must stop they've refused judgment is coming Babylon is going to come and take down Judah and take you off to captivity that's been prophesied many times and now you get this dude named the Rabshakeh and that's an awesome name (laughs) from Babylon coming and taunting Israel so verse 28 then the Rabshakeh (laughs) stood, right? You should know. I don't think you want them to call you that. It probably doesn't mean something good. (laughs) The Rabshakeh stood and called out. So he's in the public square in Jerusalem taunting and called out in a loud voice in the language of Judah, hear the word of the great king, the king of Assyria. And I'm mistaken, not Babylon, it's Assyria at this point. Thus says the king do not let Hezekiah deceive you, for he will not be able to deliver you out of my hand. Do not let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord by saying, the Lord will surely deliver us, and this city will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Do not listen to Hezekiah, for thus says the king of Assyria, make your peace with me and come out to me. Then each one of you will eat your own, eat of his own vine, and each one of his own fig tree, and each one of you will drink the water of his own cistern until I come and take you away to a land like your own land, a land of grain and wine, a land of bread and vineyards, a land of olive trees and honey, that you may live and not die. And do not listen to Hezekiah when he misleads you by saying, the Lord will deliver us. Has any of the gods of the nations ever delivered his land out of the hand of the king of Assyria? Now he just, he just right there said a bald-faced thing in light of God, right? Verse 34, where are the gods of Hamath and Arapad? These are other countries that Assyria had taken. Where are the gods of Sepharvim, Hannah, and Neva? Have they delivered Samaria out of my hand? Who among all the gods of the lands have delivered their lands out of, the hand, out of my hand? That Yahweh, the Lord, should deliver Jerusalem out of my hand? But the people were silent and answered him not a word, for the king's command was, do not answer him. And so you can imagine the people are pretty shaken. This guy is scary, and he's saying, don't listen to your king because I'm going to destroy you. You can come over with me and be my slaves. You'll like our place, but I'm going to destroy you. Your God won't deliver you. That's the setting. Now look at this prayer. Turn the page there to 2 2 Kings 19 and read Hezekiah's prayer. And here's what you're looking for. Praise, petition, confession of sin, and thanksgiving. Um, I'm actually starting at 14. Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord, the God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God, you alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. And hear the words of Sennacherib. That's the king that the Rabshakeh was representing. Which he has sent to mock the living God. Truly, O Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste the nations and their lands. And have cast their gods into the fire. For they were not gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore, they were destroyed. So now, O Lord our God, save us, please, from His hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, O Lord, are God alone. So, what do you see there? Where do you see praise in that prayer? Verse 15 is like all praise, right? O Lord, the God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim. Cherubim are angels, right? He is above them. You are God, you alone, of all the kings of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Praise, 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 praise. What else do you see? Do you see other praise in there? Okay. What about petition? What is, what is Hezekiah asking for? Wesley? Yeah, he's asking for deliverance. He's pleading with him for deliverance. Now, there is more praise buried in here. Where do you see it? Right there in that request. It's buried in there. Matt? That's right, that's right. That's what I'm saying, exactly where I was going. He's saying, those guys weren't gods. You are God. You are God alone. Okay, do you see any confession in here of sin? Not really, is there? Does that make it wrong? Shake your heads, no. (laughs) not every prayer you pray has to have all four aspects of this. I find it helpful myself. I tend to try to do that as a pattern. But it's not like you're not going to find the 11th commandment that says thou shalt pray this way. And if thou don't do this, I can't speak in King James, you won't, you know, it doesn't do that. God will not smite thee. (laughs) Because you're praying, you're pouring out your hearts to God. And sometimes it takes more confession than normal. Sometimes there's like no confession. Now, a lot of times in light of the thing you're asking for, you will have this weight like, I'm surprised that it's not here. Because Hezekiah, why are they in the situation they're in? That the Assyrians are coming to taunt them. Why are they in that situation? Sin. <laughs> idolatry. They're, the Assyrians would not have come if God had not sent them to punish them for their idolatry. It's in the background, I'm sure, of Hezekiah's mind, right? And
1: even, if it was, even if there was like a certain way we had to pray, we still have the Spirit interceding for us in our weakness. Yes, I, mean, even if that was I love case, that. Yes, right? exactly. If that was, even if there was some part that we, well, I should have made sure I threw this part of the confession, or I should have made sure, even if that which it isn't, but even if it was, right, the spirit is still interceding. Exactly.
2: And that when justice is prayed for with a pure heart and intention that that is something that he cannot or will not ever overlook, regardless of where you are. But if if you are in a position where you need justice and you ask God for it, he will always Hmm.
0: grant that. I, I have a hard time with that because... Um, well, if we just look at just Israel and itself, many prayers were offered out of genuine repentant hearts asking for justice, and God said no. God, I, don't, I, can't, I can't see that it's ever right to have, like, I can have a formula where if I say this thing, God has to answer and do what I tell him to do. If you find that, I'm checking out because this isn't the kind of religion that I would want because I want a God who's in charge (laughs) and I can't boss him around. Now, I do think God loves justice. Um, I'm I'm working through Ezekiel now and the overarching theme that I see through the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, especially the minor prophets then after that, is injustice from the leaders and the wealthy in Israel against the poor, and they would oppress them. And that is one of the big themes that God exercises judgment on Israel for. So we are very quick as conservatives, I know, to harp on the social justice movement, but I think we need to be careful because there are God does care about justice. What does he say to Micah uh, in the book of Micah? What does God require of you? But to love justice, right? To walk humbly with your God, those things. I think it's very important, but I don't think, in the the balance of the, if I'd see two themes that God judged Israel for, it was lack of justice, social justice. If you want to, I don't like the term social justice, but I'm using it because you can help me. You can help me. You can understand what I'm talking about here. The priests, and the rulers oppress the people, right? And then also idolatry, rampant, and I think they go hand in hand. But anyway, good question, great question. I don't think there's any formulas. <laughs> let's look at the, the next one. Um, I picked four. I didn't. I knew we probably wouldn't get through them all. Mm, hang on. Yeah, let's go to four. Or right, Hannah's prayer. So look at First Samuel. If you go to first chapter of 1 Samuel, for the context, as you're turning there, I'm just going to set it up. We, you may or may not know this story, but Elkanah was a man who had two wives, Hannah and some mean lady that I don't remember her name, and <laughs> she would taunt Penina, she would taunt Hannah, because Penina was apparently very um, productive. She had lots of children. She... And she would taunt Hannah as if she was broken, right? But God had not saw saw fit at that point to give her a child. And so if you look at verses 4 through 10, um, on the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Penina, his wife, and to all her sons and her daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her though the Lord had closed her womb. all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head and then she continues praying so that wasn't the prayer i was going to focus on but that's an interesting prayer there in itself and i think it has an aspect that the four categories don't necessarily fit into and she does a vow right like i don't think a vow is praise i don't think a vow fits into petition but maybe that'd be the closest confession of sin no and thanksgiving no she makes a vow. That's still communicating to God. Josh? Yeah, it, I get what you're saying. It does feel like she's bargaining. Um, the only thing is if she was bargaining, she would... There, there have to be a sense of if you don't do this, I won't do this, right? Right? which would almost be like a threat, bargaining kind of thing. She'd just saying, God, if you give him to me, I will just give him back to you. Would you bless me with him? And I think that's fair to, to ask God.
1: When I think as well, if, if the, the thought of your heart was, if you do this, I'll do this for you, as if that doing for him is something he needed. Yeah. I could, but I, I, I think that probably in Hannah's heart, it was just, if you do this, this I've thought this through. Mm-hmm. If you do this, this is what I would do in response to if you did this.
0: And again, the Romans 8, 26 and 27, in our weakness, even if it's not appropriate to bargain with God if in that sense, mm-hmm. he wants us to come and ask him in all our weakness. And the Holy Spirit helps us overcome that weakness. So in my lousy prayers... The Holy Spirit transforms those and prays the will of God for me. God would rather you come to him as a child with broken English, <laughs> stuttering, and come to him and say, I need you, right? You, your, your, child, your children, especially your toddlers, they come and ask you for something. You're not going to turn them away if it's something they need right? You may, there can be instructive moments where like, no, I've told you a 15th sucker is not going to be appropriate. <laughs> All right. So anyway, look at her song, her prayer on chapter two. This is after God grants her, her requests. God grants her her request and gives her a child, Samuel. Chapter two, verses one through 10, and Hannah prayed and said, my heart exalts, rejoices in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There's none holy like the Lord, for there's none besides you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth, for the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken, and the feeble bind on strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven, but she, has, she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol, that's the place of the dead, and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth, and he will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Which that word there, anointed, is Mashiach in Hebrew. And if you're listening there carefully, it sounds like Messiah. That's because that's the word Messiah. Now, what are your impressions of that prayer? I haven't got the evil look here yet, but I am probably will in two seconds. What what do you find that prayer different? In in what way does it seem strange to you? Does it seem strange to call it a prayer? Because right at the beginning it says she prayed and said. You tracking with me? Why it feels weird? Maybe it doesn't feel weird to you guys. (laughs)
2: where we give God this acknowledgement in order to somehow force him to give us what we
0: want. Oh, like a vending machine. Yes. And, and in
2: this regard, it, it has nothing to do with that. It's all praise and all thanksgiving. Yes. And she's not asking for anything at all. Right. And she's just freely from the outpourings of her heart and her emotional response to him just giving. There's no ask.
0: Yes. And and I think we see here Holy Spirit inspired prophecy as well. (laughs) Right? I mean, she prophesies right there in multiple ways.
1: It's also weird because the majority of it, it's like she's not even talking to the Lord. Like she starts off that way. My heart exalts the Lord, and my heart, you know. And then uh, verse 2 there's none holy like the Lord, but there's none besides you. But then so much of it sounds like she's. Telling
0: somebody else about. Right? It sounds like she's talking to somebody. Yeah. I, I have heard people pray like this, where they're like, you think they're talking to God, and all of a sudden they start talking about others. I think it's more like a declaration, <laughs> which I don't see that, how that fits into those four categories either. Yeah. And I think that's okay. <laughs> Kevin? First slide, what's that, kind of at, right? Is that talking about the other one? Yes. Yes. Well, I think it's double meaning here. Like, it's definitely talking about Penina. But she's going into this prophetic mode, now talking broader than her this w- sister wife or whatever they call it. That's a Mormon term, right? Um, broader, like all the enemies of God. Yeah. And it
1: starts to echo into that like, there's another woman's prayer in the New Testament. That's like this
0: Mary's, right? Yeah. V- Mary's prayer... Very much echoes this one. Well, I'm going to go skip over these last two, but I would. Admit, there was something that I wanted to talk about. When you read through those prayers, when you read through some of them, especially that first one we read, you could take that and swap out some of the words in there for where it, Hezekiah is talking about Israel. Put yourself in there, like, and pray that to God. Pray those exact words to God with your name, your situation substituted in there. If you're not sure how to pray, that's a great start because it's inspired words of God. And he'll definitely, those are definitely according to his will, right? Um, I just want to jump down to the last part. Why does it matter? I wanted us to talk about this, but I don't have time. But these two quotes here capture why prayer really matters. Just two aspects. There's all kinds of reasons why. but These are two. Learning to pray doesn't offer us a less busy life. It offers us a less busy heart in the midst of outer busyness. That resonates with me because, like, crazy. If I'm awake right now, I'm either working or doing this house thing, and it's so busy, and it's so easy for that to get distracted. But my heart's just as busy, prayer can help. If my heart's not as stretched in multiple ways, I can face all that busyness, outer busyness. Look at the last quote. Instead of fighting anxiety, we can use it as a springboard to bending our hearts to God. Instead of trying to suppress anxiety, manage it, or smother it with pleasure, we can turn our anxiety toward God. And when we do that, we'll discover that we've slipped into continuous praying. I'm going to end it right there because now I'm getting to look for multiple people. You are dismissed. <laughs>